Our scripture reading this morning will be from two passages of scripture in the New Testament. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn first to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verses 45 to 53. You'll find that on page 761 of your uh, Navy Blue Church Bible in the pouch in front of you. And I'm going to be reading, we're going to be looking at the life of a, a man by the name of Caiaphas today. We're looking at different lives of individuals as we are uh, approaching the Easter season. We've looked at the life of Judas, last week the life of Mary of Bethany, and this morning we're going to be learning from the life of Caiaphas, and we're going to read two passages of Scripture. The first, as I said, John 11, 45 to 53, and then um, I'll go right into Matthew 26, 57 to 68. Matthew 26, 57 to 68. I believe that those references are on your outlines if you picked one up as you came in. Uh, you can also see these scriptures up on the screen behind me. First from the Gospel of John. Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary, now that's Mary of Bethany, that's Mary the sister of Lazarus, And had seen what Jesus did. Well, they saw him raise her brother Lazarus. You can read about that earlier in John 11. Many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. That was the supreme ruling body in Israel at that time. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here's this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, It is as you say, Jesus replied. 
But I say to all of you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? This is God's word. Well, in November of 1990, a stone box was discovered a little over a mile from the Dome of the Rock in Old Jerusalem in the nation of Israel, November 1990. And this box was discovered in a cave which turned out to be a family tomb. Very fascinating. Now, once they did the archaeological uh, archaeological excavation on this, they discovered that it just wasn't an ordinary family tomb. This family tomb uh, contained several stone boxes like uh, uh, what you see behind me here. And those boxes, by the way, are called ossuaries. Ossuaries. Uh, That's plural. Ossuary would be the singular. And the way it worked back then was uh, in the first century, when someone died, their body would be placed in the cave in the tomb, and then uh, the tomb would be sealed, and then the family would return anywhere between nine months to a year, and the uh, flesh having decomposed, the family would then gather the bones and then place them in uh, these boxes. And they discovered, uh, after doing their work, that it was, in fact, a first-century tomb. And just by the appearance of this box... It's very ornate, you can see, and it would have been owned by a very affluent and wealthy family. Inside the box, they found the bones of what they later determined to be a 60-year-old man, um, a female, an adult female, two infants, and two children. And they uh, surmised that this would have most likely been the family of uh, this 60-year-old. What's interesting about this box is the inscription that's on the front end. And the inscription, when translated, says, Joseph bar Caiaphas. Joseph bar Caiaphas, bar, son of. Joseph, son of Caiaphas. Caiaphas, first century, very, very close to the temple site, affluent family tomb, other first century artifacts like a bronze uh, a Roman coin minted around a, a 43 AD to be precise. Not conclusive evidence but very, very strong evidence that this ossuary, this box, 
could very well have contained the bones of the individual which the first century historian Josephus says his name, his full name, Joseph Caiaphas, the high priest in Jerusalem in the first century at the time of Jesus. And several New Testament scholars have said, yes, this is, you know, this is very credible evidence. And, and if that's the case, what we have here is a, a very tangible historical link to someone who stood face to face with Jesus of Nazareth. Someone who, by the way, was no friend of Jesus. No friend whatsoever. In fact, one professor, uh, 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 a professor from, uh, called the Hebrew University said, Caiaphas was the man who by violence and who by manipulation at the expense of Christ's death retained power. Uh, it's not hard to see, this professor says, why Caiaphas did what he did. Well, I want to talk about Caiaphas this morning as we are looking through the lives of these individuals who stood face to face with Jesus. I want us to consider the life of Caiaphas. And what I want to do this morning is just introduce him to us. Who was Caiaphas? What kind of person was he to do what he did to Jesus? Let's talk first about Caiaphas. Then I want to talk about Caiaphas and Jesus. And I want to talk specifically about uh, the interactions that took place in the Gospel of Matthew uh, at the trial that took place in his courtyard. And then, and then I want us to see, is there a lesson from the life of Caiaphas? Do his bones still speak to us today about our relationship with Christ? That's where I want to go today. I want to talk about Caiaphas. I want to talk about Caiaphas and Jesus, and then Jesus and me. All right? First, let's talk about Caiaphas. What kind of a person was he uh, to be the kind of man who did what he did? Well, my goodness, we would need to first consider what his family background was like. Now, Caiaphas, you know, he was born into a very privileged family, a family of aristocracy, a family of, of what you might call the upper crust of Israel's uh, social status. Uh, uh, you know, when we hear words like aristocracy, almost like this royalty stuff, we just, you know, we just don't, uh, because we're just, we're just good red-blooded Americans. We're, we, we are into democracy and, and egalitarian and meritocracy, you know, where you go to school and you get your degree and you do your work and you take advantage of the opportunities and you build your family and build your wealth and you improve your life on and on and on and hopefully pass that on to your children and grandchildren. That's, that's really what we're about here. So we all know this business about aristocracy. It's just a little too hoity-toity for us red-blooded Americans, or at least it's too hoity-toity for us red-blooded Okies, that's for sure. But Caiaphas was born in a privileged family, and, and which means that his parents 
would have personally educated him. They would have been ones to, to, to school him until he got to about uh, the teenage, early teenage years. Then they would have had enough money to hire a tutor who would be with Caiaphas pretty much for the rest of his child-rearing days, and they would educate him. That tutor would, uh, would teach Caiaphas, uh, uh, he, he would write flawless Hebrew and read Hebrew flawlessly. And then another language, he would speak the spoken language of the Hebrews in the first century, which was Aramaic. And then on top of that, if two languages weren't enough, why, he would master the speaking and writing and reading of Greek. Because Greek was, to the first century world, what English is to our world today. If you're an English speaker, you're very privileged in the world today. Well, Caiaphas would have learned Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek by this tutor who just drilled into him and taught him. Very privileged, very privileged parent, very privileged education. And, and uh, what's very, very important is, is even beyond that, his special privilege spiritually. You see, Caiaphas's family was of the priestly line in Israel's history. Those priests who would serve in the temple. And Caiaphas' family was incredibly special because through a vast information of genealogical records, Caiaphas' family line goes all the way back to King David and Solomon nearly a thousand years before to the high priest of Zadok who served Israel's two most famous kings, David and Solomon. And they kept meticulous records because if you were going to serve as a priest in the temple, you had to have the pedigree. And they kept meticulous records. And a thousand years later, oh, Caiaphas' family would be able to show through the records that they belonged to this lineage of Zadok. He would serve as priest. And, and then when it came time for him to marry, it didn't hurt Caiaphas's career when he married the daughter of Annas, who was high priest. I mean, that's just not, that's, that's a pretty good resume builder, I'll tell you. And of course their marriage was arranged. There would be none of this romance business. There would be none of this ten great dates. This is your date, and you're going to marry her. Get along. I mean, that's the deal. That's how it worked back then. huh? And so Caiaphas was beginning to have a life that was incredible. Privileged parenting, privileged education, privileged language learning, privileged lineage, privileged career track. Oh, my goodness. Who's going to give that up? Who's going to give that up? Something happened in the year A.D., we'll say, 16. A.D. 16. That just totally changed Caiaphas' life. Now, if I'm going to lose you, I'm going to lose you right now. Okay? Rome was in charge of handpicking the high priests in the first century. You say, well, that, that's, that's not the way it was in the Old Testament. You're right. And that's why the Hebrews were just angry about that. 
But Rome was an occupying country. They were in charge. They were the superpower. They picked the high priest. And in the year A.D. 16-ish, the governor of the province of Judea, who had been overseeing that area, fired Annas, the high priest. Just said, you're done. He'd been there nine years. Walked in a day. It was, it was totally at will back then, okay? It was, it was the governor's will. He says, you're done. And so Annas was done being high priest. And the governor chose another high priest. Didn't like him. Fired him. Then he chose another high priest. And then another high priest. And then another high priest. I mean, Annas had been there nine years, and then in a period of two years, the Roman governor, a guy by the name of Gratus, who was governor before Pontius Pilate, he burned through four high priests. And you know who his fifth pick was? You got it. Caiaphas. Caiaphas, the high priest. You know how many years Caiaphas served? Eighteen years. He was the longest serving high priest in the first century in Israel's history. See, how did he do it? He was good, that's how. He knew how to make his boss happy, the governor happy. He knew how to make Rome happy. And he knew how to make the people of Israel happy. And he had just learned real politic. He learned how to work the system. He learned how to maneuver and to manipulate. He learned and learned well. And he had had this privileged background, privileged education, privileged uh, language learning, privileged uh, lineage, privileged being pre... and, and, And the home that he lived in as high priest was nothing short of spectacular. There have been archaeological studies which have... These were mansions. They had, they, they, had, they had heated floors. This is in the first century. I'm not making this up. It's fascinating. Who's going to give that up? Huh? He sat on the back portico. He could look over the, the Tyropian Valley in downtown in Jerusalem and then see that gleaming temple and he could sip his wine with his deposed father-in-law, Annas, who was still kind of pretty much in the picture and they had this magnificent view. He, and then the temple, my goodness, as high priest, he would, the temple, you, you think, oh, he was in charge of the temple like, you know, Pastor Randy's in charge of Windsor Road Christian Church. Not quite. Not quite. No, think about like being university president there in the university district. I mean, there were, there were goldsmiths, there were bakers, there was a finance department, there were then the priests there who had to deal with all the livestock. There were so many different operations that he had to oversee. And then he was the, he was the ceremonial leader. He was considered God's man, the high priest, the mediator in God's temple for God's people. And he would wear the vestments uh, at two specific times, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and then the Passover feast. He would don these vestments and the dazzling stones, which, 12 of them which represented the tribes of Israel. And I mean, it was just, it was just fantastic as he was the, the CEO of of. First century temple, Inc. That's 
Caiaphas. It was a fantastic life. It really was. Family, heritage, education, occupation, housing. I mean, it was the cream. Who's going to give that up? Who? And then he hears about this Galilean holy man from Nazareth. This so-called teacher and miracle worker, this rabbi, sometime after the death of John the Baptist, Caiaphas got word of this amazing rabbi with powerful stories and memorable parables. He taught like no one else. Was this the 12-year-old who stumped the religious leaders that one Passover years ago? Now he's grown up. Jesus' ministry and teaching in his very life began to threaten the establishment, the religious leaders, and began to threaten their temple, their operation, their ink. They even tried to stone him to death one time for claiming to be equal with God, but Jesus just walked right through. And now, now God's people were beginning to believe the message of Christ. And three years into his ministry, they wondered, could this be the Messiah? Could this be God's promised one ushering in God's kingdom? I mean, other would-be messiahs appeared on the scene, you know. Others did. But they always had advocated military action against Rome, not this Jesus. He was the one who said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And he spoke with authority. And so as the Passover meal began to approach, the chief priests and the the religious leaders were alarmed because they had heard from God's people this extraordinary story about how this Lazarus was raised from the dead. I mean, I mean he'd, been, he'd been stinky dead for days. And Jesus called him right out of the grave. And, and they, were, they were just frantic. They, 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 they didn't know what to do. John eleven forty seven. 47, they called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. Well, what are we accomplishing? I mean, here, here's this man performing many miraculous signs. And, and if we let him go on like this, everybody's going to believe in him. And, and then, then the Romans are going to come and they're going to take away both our place and our nation. They were frantic. And suddenly, in the midst of their panicky spirits, a very matter-of-fact voice pierced their paranoia. A voice which said, kill him. It was Caiaphas. John eleven forty nine. 49. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke of you. Fellas, 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 hey, 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 come on. What are you, what are you, you're thinking like bozos here? You don't know anything at all. You don't know anything at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Kill him. I know this was, these were Israel's spiritual leaders, okay? Now, your elders meet twice a month. And we read scripture and we pray and every now and then, every now and then, every, every, very, they're so rare, it's so rare. I, I can't even remember when it happened next, but every now and then, and, you know, an, an honorary church member makes the agenda, an honorary church member. I've been here for 22 years. I have never once heard any of our elders respond by saying, kill him. 
And, and they've never heard the senior pastor say, kill him. Right? Have, have they? We have some, <laughs> help me out, guys. Come on. Huh? One elder came up to me last service and um, said, well, you did say you were going to kill your kids early. Well, 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 they weren't members. Okay, so. I'm, I mean, this is spiritual leaders, you know? Spiritual leaders. Kill them. That's it. Business. Because I'm, I am not going to, we're not giving, we're not giving this up. We're not, we're not giving this up. That's the, that's it. It's just no hesitation on Caiaphas' part. And so, so you see, when we get to Matthew's gospel, by the time we get to Matthew's gospel, Mary of Bethany has already anointed Jesus with nard, and Judas has already betrayed him. The guards have already arrested him. When we get to Matthew's gospel, what we read earlier, Peter is in the process of denying him. Under the cover of darkness, they take Jesus to the courtyard of Caiaphas, that beautiful courtyard, oh my goodness, and that, that, that mansion-like home that he had with, with, with subfloor heating, oh my. The courtyard was the courtroom. Not exactly an impartial place for justice, mind you. A quorum appears, constituting the whole Sanhedrin, and there was absolutely no presumption of innocence whatsoever in that, in that kangaroo court. Yeah, I mean, Jewish courts always met in broad daylight, always, not here. Jewish courts always began their capital trials. When someone was on trial for their life in a Jewish court, the Jewish courts always began the trial with reasons for acquittal, but not here. And furthermore, in Jewish courts, the accused would never be convicted on the basis of his own testimony. Never. Not here. The fact is, they had reached a verdict before the trial had started, and now they just needed to decide what the charge was going to be. Verse 59 in Matthew's gospel says, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus. No, notice it doesn't say they were looking for evidence. They were looking for false evidence because that's the only kind of evidence they could find, false evidence. But the false witnesses couldn't even agree on which lie to tell. That's why... Matthew 26, 60 says, but they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. And finally, two stood up and accused Jesus of a terrorist plot on the temple. I can destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. And of course, you know that's not what Jesus said. John's gospel says very clearly, Jesus said, you destroy this temple, meaning my body, and I will raise it three days. He was talking about his resurrection but Jesus was silent throughout the proceedings. Someone once wrote, when patience shines, impatience is revealed and hates the attention. Kindness shows unkindness to be hideous. True joy intensifies true bitterness. Gentleness enrages belligerence and self-control proves the pig to be nothing but a pig. Caiaphas finally spoke. Are, are, you, are you not going to answer? Are you not going to answer? 
And I love what Luke's gospel says. This is what's so significant about each of the gospel accounts. You know, they help, they complement one another in terms of their testimony. Caiaphas says, are you not going to answer? And Jesus responds in Luke twenty-two sixty-seven: If I tell you, you will not believe me. Well, what's the point? You know, what's the, if I, I, it says, if I tell you, you will not believe me. If I ask you, you won't answer. So what's the point? Go ahead, do what you're going to do, Caiaphas. And finally, he did. Caiaphas had had enough. Caiaphas said, I, I, I charge you now under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of the blessed one. Now, when he said that, he did not mean, tell us if you're the second person in the Trinity. He, he didn't mean, tell us if you are Yahweh in the flesh. That's not what he meant. The question was, are you Israel's deliverer? Are, are, you, are you Israel's deliverer? You're supposed to deliver it. Look at you. Look at you. Caiaphas was in robes. Jesus was in robes. You're supposed to deliver us from our Roman oppressors, you? As far as Caiaphas was concerned, see, he was mocking him. As far as Caiaphas was concerned, the Messiah was supposed to defeat the Romans, not be crucified by them. You, you tell us if you were the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus responds in Matthew 26, 64. Literally, verse 64, you said it. You said it. You, you know, Caiaphas, you above all people should know. You should know. You should know. And then Jesus didn't stop talking. And I'm more than that, Caiaphas. And he quotes from Daniel chapter 7, which is an unmistakably divine picture of the Son of Man appearing from the throne of God's, uh, uh, from the throne of God in the clouds of heaven. This image, this picture of God's deity and divinity, his Shekinah glory, it was an image of divine judgment. In other words, Jesus over-answers the question, he makes a claim way beyond what he's being asked. He says, Caiaphas, you are, you are not the judges of this. I am the judge. You, you don't have authority over the temple. I have authority over the temple. You are not the high priest. You are a weak pretender. I am the true high priest. I am the meeting place between God and his people. And Caiaphas, it doesn't matter what you do to me. I'll be back. And when I come back, when I come back, those who have denied me will be denied by me. He was looking at him right in the face. This entire scene drips with irony. I mean, the Sanhedrin passes judgment on the one who will one day judge them. Caiaphas permits perjury, yet Jesus refuses an oath and simply lets his yes be yes. The false witnesses accuse Jesus of predicting the destruction and rebuilding of the temple in three days, something which they actually made possible by handing him over to Pilate who crucified him and three days later the temple of his body was raised from death. 
Ironically, Caiaphas tears his own robes, which foreshadows the tearing of the veil in the temple, signifying its end. And perhaps most ironically, Caiaphas himself commits blasphemy by accusing the Son of God of blasphemy. And you know what happened next? Man, they unload on Jesus. In the middle of that trial, the jurors began to spit on them. Now, I told you a few weeks ago that in February, I was able to serve jury duty, and the case that I was on, our person was acquitted. I have never heard of a trial in our country where the jurors, when the accused is convicted, then proceed to spit on the accused. But that's exactly what happened here. They spit on him, and you know, you know, oh my goodness, you know how insulting it is to spit on someone, what that signifies. They spit on him, they beat him. These are the spiritual leaders of Israel, the elders. No wonder Jesus said to Pilate about Caiaphas, John 19, 11, therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And that's the story of Jesus and Caiaphas. It's a story that um, leaves me with a question for us. The bones of Caiaphas still speak and they ask this question which I would ask you to consider, and it's simply this. Who is your high priest? Who's the high priest in the temple of your life? Huh? You see, there, there can only be one, you know. There can only be one high priest in the temple of your life. Now, you say, Randy, what do you, wait a minute, what's this word, picture, metaphor, high priest? Well, okay, let me unpack it. Your high priest is whoever you look to for significance. Your high priest is where you get your worth and value. Your high priest is whoever you depend on to get your approval from God. Your high priest is whoever you passionately pursue with all of your life. When I'm talking about your high priest, you know, I, I kept saying to you earlier and earlier about Caiaphas, and who would give that up? Who would give that up? I mean, he would never give that up. Well, whatever that is, that's his, and that's our high priest. And there can only be one. And you know what Caiaphas said? Caiaphas said, I am going to be, I'm high priest. I'm high priest in the temple of my life. And, and when it came to Jesus, see, it's an all or nothing confrontation. Well, I mean, one of them was committing blasphemy. And Caiaphas was clear, Jesus needs to go. That's it. It's a no-brainer. And he's not about to give up his seat. And I can still hear Caiaphas today. I can still hear him today. You know, are you not going to answer? Are you not going to answer as if, as if we're the ones judging Jesus? But when Jesus shows up, Jesus comes on his own terms. He shows up to the jam-packed Jerusalem, our hearts and lives. He wants to judge that, and he wants to purify it, and he wants to chisel it. He wants to do that. And there's clutter. There's the corruption of religious appearances, and he wants to do a work on our hearts. He wants to challenge us as to how we think about people and our neighbors and our values and what we think is important. And there's a lot of Caiaphas that's still alive in me, frankly. 
wanting to jockey my way to get my way so that I can enjoy the view from my powerful subheated floor portico. So that I can continue to wear those dazzling, glittering vestments as I, as I am the high priest of the temple of Randy. And all the while, those vestments hide a heart that is far from God. And church, that's why Jesus overturned the tables at the temple. He was conf- he, they were playing church. And in the spirit of Jeremiah, and Jesus wasn't the first to confront playing church. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 9. Will you steal and murder? Commit adultery and perjury? Burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe. I mean, do you hear what he's saying there? Do you hear what Jeremiah is saying? I mean, I mean, could we be guilty of that? Could we be guilty of thinking, well, as long as I waltz in here at 1045 and put in my 75 minutes with God, then I can go out and just do whatever I want. Would we be so deluded to think that and say we are safe, safe to do these detestable things? Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? See, that's where Jesus got that, den of robbers. I've been watching, declares the Lord. Wow. God sees. It's not enough to go through the formalities. It's not enough just to play church. There can only be one high priest. Who's your high priest? Who is your high priest? I'll say this about Caiaphas. He was consistent. He was. Unlike Pontius Pilate, Caiaphas was not a conflicted man. He was not. Caiaphas was many things, but he was not lukewarm. He wasn't. (laughs) He had ice in his veins. And not just toward Jesus. Uh, After he had Jesus handed over to Pilate for crucifixion, why later on in the book of Acts we hear about how he treated Peter and John and then how Stephen was uh, stoned to death and, and, and encouraged by another young rabbi, Saul of Tarsus. And then even after Caiaphas was deposed, after his 18-year run, why, uh, you know, he's still kind of uh, in the leadership mix, and he's still kind of manipulating, so much so that around the year A.D. 60, he had his family, his clan, the group, had James, the brother of Jesus, author of the letter of James, executed right smack dab there in the temple in Jerusalem. (laughs) He wasn't conflicted. He's not going to give his seat up to Jesus. That's the deal. And all that he tried to hold and all that he tried to protect crumbled anyway. Yeah. Yeah, his days as high priest soon came to an end, and by the time John's gospel was written, by the time John chapter 11 was written, the temple had already been destroyed in A.D. 70. It was gone. What temple are you gripping to so tightly right now? You've got white knuckles on your fist. You're holding on to it. But you know what? Come your A.D. 70, it's going to be a pile of dust. What is that? I think Caiaphas' life could be summarized this way. It's the best quote I can 
give on Caiaphas. It's simply this. Caiaphas grew small trying to be great. There it is. Trying to be his own high priest. And you can only have one. Now, before we have communion, um, you know, you know um, I think that there are two responses to Caiaphas that might be in this room right now. And the first response is this. Some might hear all of this and say, wow, I, I'm just like Caiaphas. I'm just like him. I am just like him. That's me. <laughs> that is me. And if so, and if you feel Jesus' words convicting you and piercing your heart and confronting you, if you feel that Jesus is getting in your face, can I just say, instead of being defensive, looking at your watch and wondering, you know, what you're going to put on your burrito in 30 minutes, can I just say this? When Jesus is confronting you, and can, would you just receive that as a gift from God? As, as a gift. I mean, the gift of, of having, if you've got people in your life who are willing to look across the table from you and say, you are about to make a decision that's going to be a disaster. These are wise people. And they're saying, look, you, this is not going to work. What you, you think is going to happen is going to just... Would you receive that as a gift? Receive that as a gift because the worst thing that we can ever hear from Jesus is this. If I tell you, you wouldn't believe me. If I ask you, you wouldn't answer me. The, the worst thing, the worst thing that God can say to us, the worst thing we can hear from God is, okay, do whatever you want. Because the worst thing for you is to do whatever you want. And the worst thing for me too. So, so please receive these words as, as a gift from God. The second response that someone might have is this. First response, well, I'm just like him. Second response, well, I'm not like him at all. Whew. All right. I'm going to have two burritos. I, I'm going to have two. I'm, I'm paying for lunch because I'm better than Caiaphas. All right. Now, the bad news, if you should happen to think that, is, is, is really far worse than a life like Caiaphas. See, the bad news is this. The best efforts of the best Christians on the best days in the best frame of mind with the best motives fall short of God's righteousness. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross for Caiaphas. He went to the cross for people who are worse than Caiaphas. He went to the cross for people who think they're better than Caiaphas. He went to the cross for all of us. And on the cross, Jesus Christ won through losing. He triumphed through defeat. He achieved power through weakness, and he came to wealth by giving it all away. So who's going to be your high priest? Huh? Caiaphas, listen, Caiaphas is in that box. He's in some box. He cannot help. But I know of one who can. Hebrews 4.14 speaks of the great high priest who has gone 
into heaven. Jesus. He's the best and only one there is. Hold on to him. Shall we pray?